Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The year is 1980. Sydney's streets are filthy, running rampant with crime and corruption. Puberty blues is onto the cinemas, ice houses blaring on the stereo, it's humid and dangerous, and a young man has decided to join the police force to fight crime. That man, of course, is my dad. Loose Units, the podcast, was created to tell the cases that wouldn't fit into my first book, Loose Units. But Loose Units was a series of fantastical tales that I wrote based on the real crimes my dad solved on the force back in the early 80s. So this season, Dad and I are finally going to go back, back, back to the year 1980. And each week, we'll be going chapter by chapter through Loose Units, the book. And Dad will tell us the story behind my version of events. It'll be thrilling, revelatory, and as always, very, very loose. Welcome to Loose Units Origins. Hello and welcome to Loose Units Origins, the weekly podcast. Ah, shit, there's two episodes a week, Dad. It can't be a weekly podcast. Anyway, every week I sit down twice a week with my dad, John Verhoeven, who used to be a cop, and we talk about his time on the force. Dad, seeing as how you chafe when I don't actually ask you how you're doing, how are you doing this morning? Well, Paul, you'll be pleased to know Uh that I'm feeling moderately okay, borderline. Look, I had a really good start to the day. <clears throat> with my run and swim, <laughs> and uh, but I was bidding on this magnificent Chinese statue uh-huh. up until about a minute ago. Oh, did you get it? No, I lost it. Oh, I'm sorry. So, you know, I, I I went crazy, and it just kept going and going. And um, to quote my poncho wearing comrade, mm-hmm. Dirty Harry. Although he never uh, wore a poncho in Dirty Harry. That would have been no, weird. He may have worn it off camera or something. No, no, yeah. in other movies. He, he, he did wear a poncho. No, I'm, I get that. I'm saying but Dirty Harry, the character, never wore a poncho. And I was Correct. saying maybe he wore it off camera. Like yeah, between, yeah, yeah. But it know. would have been very difficult for him to draw his forty-four Magnum from beneath a poncho. You say that, but it wasn't hard for the man, for, you know, for, the, um, for Blondie to pull his gun out with the poncho. You just whip it to one side. Yeah, good point. <clears throat> the good, the bad, and the ugly. What an what an extraordinary and memorable and brilliant film. I know there's two of us on this show, but if you were good, bad, or ugly, which one would you be? Um, I'd be. Ah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> let, let me just say, and, good and hey, bad. Let me just say, you, yeah, you don't have to be. Maybe that's the parable of that movie: is that we're all a little bit good, bad, and ugly. Mm. I, it's a very, time. very beautiful film, and there's a very poignant, quite long s- sort of scene in the middle that goes on and on and on. Actually. Oh, the bridge scene. There's the Civil War scene with the bridge, right? 
Yeah, and then then anyway, look, let's don't go there, Paul. But it's a beautiful film, and so what I wanted to say was that one of Dirty Harry's most memorable sayings, a saying that I almost try and aspire to, is a man has to know his limitations, and you always should know your limitations when going into the auction, uh, because emotion be- is, plays a very very big part of auctioning and I'm actually heading off after this podcast yeah to an actual auction house where I'm going to be bidding live on something very very exciting. Do you think your time staring down the barrel so to speak of what I would say a pretty intense traumatic events has given you a sort of poker face and ability to deal with those stressful auction situations or are you like anyone else susceptible to you know getting worked up? Well, I'm I'm already worked up as I'm sitting here okay. thinking about today's auction. Uh-huh. So I'll be heading over. Yep. And no matter how cool I try and be, and I'm dressing down, down for the occasion. I'm wearing thongs, short pants, mm-hmm. so I look like a dag. I have not brushed my hair, so I look like Phyllis Diller on methamphetamine. Okay. And uh, with with... The greatest of respect to Phyllis Diller, whom I actually admired. I'm not sure whether she's still alive. No, but she's amazing. Um, but I'm going to kind of saunter into this auction house. I have a permanent buyer's number. Yep. My my number is for listeners four four four. And of course, we all know that the Chinese love eight eight eight, the triple eight. So I've I've sort of got half. Does that make sense? Half, sort of, uh, whatever. Um, anyway, like, so that's my permanent buyer's number at this particular auction house. Yep. And, and I'll sit down and the thing about auctioning is that, I mean, they can tell from the rostrum. No matter how, and I, I, I'm not a good poker player because every time I get a good hand, all my friends fold. And I go, why are you all folding? And they just look at, and they look at me and laugh and go, well, it's, all, it's written all over your face. So I'm going to be try I'm just going to try and pick a spot in the room um and just get a sense but I I also know because this particular item it's a painting from Singapore. Yep. I already know that there are at least 3 or 4 telephone bids from Singapore and one of the look it's just it's intense. I'm really it's got a very low estimate but I'm already prepared to go 10 times the estimate. Now and I, and I probably it- still won't get it. If I were to release this podcast really, really quickly, uh, it would potentially blow your stratagem. But what? I, <laughs> thank God we record a whole day before mm, yeah, I actually yeah. whip these things together. Yeah. But look, this does kind of tie in with the theme this week because uh, this week's chapter that we are looking at from my book, Loose Units, is chapter 25. It's called Done for Speeding. And it is kind of near the start of your relationship with Christine, who ends up being mum. Now... The core conceit of this chapter is you trying to leave mum a note. Mm. I guess when you are in that early courtship stage, doing things like that do have a kind of high stakes feel to them because if they don't pan out the way you want them to or if you make a fool of yourself, the whole thing is scuppered. Like Mm. everything is completely ruined. Mm. So could you walk us through from your perspective how this leaving of the note thing actually went? Christine um, had a very nice um, motor car that she'd got herself into debt with and then paid it off and 
and she was that was her pride and joy. Mm. It was a Mazda three two three, and she loved that car. And I and it was it was a standout car insofar as the color was fairly unusual, mm-hmm. and I had pieced together uh, in a non creepy way various. <laughs> Um, bits of information that led me to realise that she lived in a particular street in DY. Now, can you can you just pause here for a second? Because you said not in a creepy way, and I'm not accusing you of anything. I find this interesting because it shows to me not creepiness, but a level of police work. I mean, right? It's deductive hmm. reasoning. <clears throat> yeah, and, and tenacity as well. Yeah. Now, could you walk us through how you actually triangul- <laughs> you triangulated where mum was based so that you could then leave a note under the kind of wiper of her car. <clears throat> well, I'd never seen the building, uh-huh. but I think we're jumping here just a smidge. Can we just come back to, we'd agreed to, to s- just slow things down. Yes, of course, of course, because you are on the force and, you know, it, it's going to make things hard for you guys career-wise uh, at this point. Um, the first, and- uh, pa- I'll, I'll just read it from the first paragraph here. Mm. So this is from the chapter. Things were moving very fast for John and Christine. As they lay about that afternoon recovering from their exertions, they both agreed they'd picked up on this and after a brief chat decided to cool their jets a little. Doing things slowly and being professional was the best course of action. Evening was coming and they had a wonderful day, but it was time for her to go. John watched Christine leave, then after about 20 minutes was gripped by the urge to talk to her. He had no way to contact her outside of work, but he knew where she lived, so without any hesitation, he reneged on their accord and hopped in his car, started the engine and made for her house, head still a little fuzzy from the port storm. He parked several blocks away and his back sticking to the seat began to write a love letter in the scorching heat. Now, what isn't in that little paragraph there is this issue of yours, and that is that she didn't tell you where she lived. Uh, You had to figure it out yourself, yeah? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, there are quite a few streets in DY. Let's say there are maybe six streets that run parallel to the beach. And she had described the building that she was living in that was her grandmother's. Um, And I knew that it was fairly close to the beach. I didn't know what street it was in, but I somehow gleaned the name of the building. How'd you know it was close to the beach? Was that because you'd been to the beach before and she'd probably mentioned in passing, you know, this wasn't much of a walk or something like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, she'd walked to the beach that on from, the, the first yeah. time I met from her from her grandmother's. Interesting. And I knew that there there's basically no off street parking um, in DY, mm. so she had to be on the street. And as I said, her car was kind of a like an orangey red color. Mm. It was immaculate and. You know, I just didn't want to blow things. Um, I was very conscious that we'd made an agreement not an hour before <laughs> saying, but the second she left, I was quite maudlin, which is a great word, and I just thought, I'm missing her already, but I don't want to blow it. But listeners, I'm going to say something very profound yet very obvious, and that is that... <laughs> But why does that elicit? It's it's up to the listener to decide whether it's profound or not. You don't no, need to that's, catch that's it. That's a point. Okay, but I'm just saying that to punctuate what I'm about to say by saying yeah, yeah, that yeah. we did not have mobile phones. We of didn't course. text. Yeah. You had to actually, if you wanted to let someone in the world know that you were fond of them, mm. or you wanted to write to your mum and dad that may have been overseas traveling in Europe, you had to write a letter, knowing full well they'd never get the letter. They would have come back to Australia by then. 
So, did you have mum's phone number at this point, like a landline? Not a chance. Because that would have directly gone to her grandmother's phone. And if the uh, grandmother had have picked... And the grandmother, just FYI, yeah. was a super matriarch. She was the matriarch of the entire dynasty to which Christine was, was attached, yeah. um, whether she liked it or not. Mm. And so Christine, she, <clears throat> she left. I'm at home in my apartment uh-huh. sharing you know, the, the fateful apartment with my brother and his friend. Yep. And I just didn't want to rush, but I thought, you know, you've got to strike while the iron's hot. So I drove my shitbox Volkswagen because um, I've had a few VWs. I had some good ones and some not so good ones, but this was particularly bad. I'd actually had a minor collision in this particular one mm. when I was doing a rally. I used to do car rallies and I was actually heading up this bush track and I had a head-on collision um, and basically the front of the car you know, just sort of fell apart, but I kept driving it. Um so, knowing that I had a bit of an idea of the suburb, I just started sort of driving up and down a few of the streets and I saw her car. So then I found a spot. It was incredibly hot that day. It was, it was midsummer, you know, classic February in Sydney, at least 40 degrees. Um, you know, back in the day, that was about 100 Fahrenheit. And I, I sort of penned this letter and I was sweating profusely. Do you remember what it said? Do you remember the specifics? Look, it would have been pretty intense. I it would have been expressing expressing how I felt about her, and um, yeah, just it, it, I know that it wasn't two pages. It was definitely one page. What was but it I, written on? What was it like a like a like a napkin or we, a piece we of paper used to or? we used to call um, it paper back then. <laughs> okay, smartass. I mean, was it? Did not you tear papyrus. a page out of your police? Like, did you tear a page out of your police? You know, kind of notebook. Paul, that is so so sweet of you to say that every single um, page in our notebook was numbered I reckon that if you tore a page out of an official police book yeah you'd be sacked without a doubt you'd be yeah, you'd you, be rat shit you know why because also, it would we'd... it would be seen that you had yeah. actually removed an incredibly important statement or some facts. Oh, it could and, be and evidence. Be, yeah, yeah. Evident. And you'd be up shit creek without a paddle. <clears throat> yeah, but you've... I mean, this the whole premise of loose units is that policing in the 80s was incredibly, hence the name, loose. Now, there are so many things that... I mean, pushing a body back out to sea with a fucking two-by-four so mm. that you don't have to deal with it. How is mm. that less bad and less fireable than tearing mm. a page out of your notebook? Well, firstly, may I say it's not two-by-four. No one ever says that. It's four-by-two. Right, yeah, that so sounds weird and wacky, but you know that's how it is. Um, and what? And and I'm gonna, I'm gonna be very open and frank uh-huh. um, with you and the listeners at this juncture. And you can tell me if I've said this before, but I learnt from a very experienced police officer, it, and it was such an obvious yet basic um, fact. And I'm not sure, listeners, whether I ever used this particular. Um, technique but here we go when you would take an official statement at the scene of no matter what it was obviously something pretty important and you'd have a pen you'd open your official notebook that was on issue to you so the not only was every page numbered but every book was numbered and when you finished it 
you had to return it and they would be filed. And they're probably still, in fact, I'd imagine that all the official notebooks ever in the New South Wales Police Force mm-hmm. are still somewhere. And detectives, they used to get a really fancy soft cover book, which in my opinion was so much more cool and, and debonair. But a very, very experienced uh, and loose police officer Mm-hmm. said whenever you take a statement in your official police notebook and the police out there listening to this will probably they'll have, they'll have mixed reactions to what I'm about to say he said um and it was particularly sort of um on point if you're interviewing you know someone really dodgy mm. is that when you took their statement you would always leave a few extra lines before you got them to sign off now, generally, they would never say anything. They'd just sign. Because once you'd taken a statement in your book, you'd say to them, now, I'd like you to sign this statement that you've just made. You'd read it back to them, and then you'd just hand it to them, and they'd sign it as to the correctness of it. But can you imagine, Paul, if you left a few spare lines? Can you imagine? Oh, the things you could do. The things you could do. You could insert, because <clears throat> it's in your handwriting, not their handwriting. Mm-hmm. No one ever gets to write in the book except you. So from a fingerprint or handwriting experts perspective if it was called into evidence which they often were yeah um because when you took a statement off in in a really serious crime and you went to court if you went to say the district court with a judge and jury your notebook could be tendered in evidence it was really really scary if you handed your notebook which you had to do the the defense and prosecution Mm. would have the right to examine your notebook and here's another trick that serving police officers might like to consider if they haven't already and and this also was taught to me was get two rubber bands you you open up your book in relation to the statement pertaining to this particular trial you then wrap the rubber band around all the preceding pages and all the pages after how good is that so when you hand the book to, say, a QC or a top barrister for the defence, when goes he goes to, to the open page. the book, he can't yeah. go through the rest of your book. Right. Because if they decide to go through the rest of your book, which I kind of think the judge they would shouldn't. be unaware, they shouldn't, but they could, and they could yeah. discover other Context? things. Just yeah. They get a sense of how you, how you operate as a police officer. Now, that's what an amazing and helpful Hint, and I used to do that when I was in the police force, and it, mm. I'm quite sure because I used to do diagrams as well. I, I'd do schematic diagrams, particularly Wait, when so I was you, in. You drew stuff. Oh yeah, you could draw whatever you like. You could draw oh. a smiley face if you wanted to. Right. You'd have to justify. I mean, it wasn't like a a sketchbook where you'd go out and just paint and doodle the Harbour Bridge or you know, the mouth at the front of Luna Park. No, but, I mean, it's a big police trope. You know, like Commissioner Gordon says, has anyone seen him? And one of the cops has just drawn this childlike drawing of a kind of bat thing, and then mm. the camera zooms in. So it yeah. feels like it's a... it's a this The notebook is a tool for, you know, recording information, and sometimes that information is pictorial in nature. Right? Very much so. Okay. Yeah. okay. And, 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 and if it can help you, <clears throat> particularly in forensics, I mean, imagine going to a crime scene... Yeah. And just, just taking contemporaneous notes, contemporaneous being mm. notes taken at the time of the incident. Okay. And they're, they're very powerful when you're giving evidence because the judge and jury will know that this is raw information. And, uh, yeah, so I penned the note. I located Christine's car. 
I then walked and I was very aware that I didn't want her to see me mm-hmm. and um, I placed the note under her windscreen wiper and I decamped rapidly. What does that mean? I ran away. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, I didn't run away like a like a psycho, right? You didn't, but I wanted I wanted to get out of there, right? And of course, having read your book, Paul, mm-hmm. I now am aware, yeah, that dear sweet Christine was ad- I was going to say admiring, but that's not the right word. But she was watching me, yes, from the top floor of this building because her car was sort of opposite and just down a little bit. So she had a full, you know, view of, of me. I don't know how she ended up seeing me, actually. I, I, I just don't know. Maybe she was just looking and happened to see me because mm. she had no idea that I'd be, um, you know, coming over. Yeah. And, um, yeah, you know, I left the note. And, and then, you know, we'd sort of said, let's just sort of slow things down. And then she had to go away for the weekend. She went to a camp up in the Blue Mountains and it's for, let's put it very, very kindly and nicely, for wayward youth. Uh-huh. Um, it was an amazing and, and lovely, and I had deep respect and love for Christine uh, in that she would spend her some of her free time mm-hmm. working for disadvantaged youth. And I thought, wow, that's that's a really, really wonderful thing to do. And, I, and that, you know, gave me more insight into Christine in terms of who she was and you know, her sort of, her ethics. And um, she went away for the weekend and my car, my, my car shut itself and um, I was relying on public transport. And uh, back in those days, you could use public transport free of charge, but only if you're in uniform. So I'd learnt fairly early on in my service that travelling on public transport in full uniform... Um, was not the best thing to do. Yeah. You you were like a magnet. Right. You just people just wanted to honestly frightening. And you had to use your official notebook as well. If people reported something lost or they'd seen something suspicious and you'd end up I mean technically you could have got overtime for it, but you know, I never did. So um um my good friend. Now Paul, in the book you actually say that Dunn lent me his panel van? Yes. It actually wasn't done. I know. But but here, can I say something quite exciting? Yes, of course, please. You know, we've got the reunion happening soon. Mm-hmm. I was going through the email list a few days ago, and there is the name of the guy that lent me his panel van. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Oh, he's co- he's, so he's coming to the reunion. He's coming to the reunion. I think oh, I would Isn't love... That, that's so amazing. I would love to hear what these officers that you meet up with think of the book. Because mm. the book is a creative retelling of things they lived through and there's a few people in the book who will actually be there in person and i think i speak for everyone when i say that is a crazy that's a crazy thing to have to deal with i know it's it's weird um look i think probably 80 to 90 percent of the reason i'm going to the reunion is because of the book paul Amazing. amazing um now do you know what they used to call panel vans back in the 1970s and 80s shaggin wagons correct and you know what shagging is, don't you? No. What does it mean, Dad? <laughs> anyway, uh, so he lent me his yellow Sandman panel van. And for anyone from that period, they'll know that the Sandman panel van was a serious piece of equipment. And they were expensive. And people <coughs> used to deck them out and they had shows. And uh, yeah, they were pretty, pretty insane. And he lent me, and it was a manual, and it was a beast. It had a massive V8. And he just said, look, John, and he kind of sensed. I don't know whether I'd actually told my friend, um, you know, why I was so desperate to, to you know, get up and see Christine. Mm. Um, and his van was fitted out in the back. What, you mean they, like with the bed? With the mattress, right. with the bed, which is handy. <laughs> Fuck's sake. And uh, anyway... So I drove up to this place, but I sensed that the very senior police up there were really pissed off that Christine had kind of just arrived and she was going to be doing this amazing weekend of 
you know, good work. She'd done it before and she was no doubt going to do it again and again. But on this particular occasion, um, I, uh, I rocked up and I picked Christine up and we went away for the weekend and then, but she didn't go back home to her grandmother's. So that was, we were cool insofar as, um, you know, her grandmother not knowing. Right. The grandmother had some kind of beef with you. No, she was just, I just didn't find her pleasant at all. But there's some really dark, dark stuff that happened in Christine's family that was really, really fucked up. Right. And that's definitely not um, for me to talk about, unless Christine one day says, look, I don't mind if you talk about it. A lot of families just say, okay, this is really, really bad, uh, but we're never going to tell anyone about it. We're not going to engage with the authorities. We're going to keep it as the as the big family secret. So, and that, I think it's fairly common in families, and it's fucked. So there you go. But the upshot of this whole thing is that you know, it appeared that your wooing of Christine was working at this point. Uh, you know, kind of interfering family notwithstanding. Now, Mum, a little while back, talked me through her version of events here, uh, and that's why her perspective of you putting the note under the windscreen wiper is in the book. But apparently, I mean, she told me her version of the actual van thing and her version is very different to the book version. Now, whilst I can't remember her version, it's interesting that the two of you have such different memories of how these things played out. Uh, Do you think that you, I mean, you are remembering yourself, you know, pulling these schemes off with nary a hitch, but do you think from mum's perspective, you were maybe a little bit, you, you looked and seemed a little bit different? Um, look, that's you have to see... <clears throat> to see me through Christine's eyes, you can't ask me, can you? True. <clears throat> you can't say to me, look, you know, how did your, how did Christine perceive you? Look, mm-hmm. I just know that I was um, probably fairly similar to how, how I am now. Um, I mean, you know, I love adrenaline. I love thrills. I love... Um, you know, there's an amazing story, Paul. You know the story about which I, we won't go into, but because mm. we will touch on it later. But you recall when I drove Christine when she was pregnant up to Queensland? Yeah, uh, is that in the book? I don't think it's in the book. No. Oh God, um, are you joking? Is this? I mean, is this where she was asleep in the bike? Yes, kind of. Yes, yeah. that's on and the I podcast. I almost killed. I mean, that's a great story, and that's kind of it. It kind of um, also reflects um, to a degree. Mm-hmm. Um, some irresponsibility on my part, which I'm more than happy to, to fess up to. Um, you know, it's. I think as you get older, you become more um, able to sort of reflect, and and it's really important to see both sides of of, of every story. Yeah. Um, and I think in most relationships, you've got sort of one person that tends to be slightly. Um, I'm trying to. I'm thinking about you and Tegan. Um, you know your personalities. Um, I'm thinking about about all the the family and friends that I know and in that are in relationships. Be them same sex relationships, heterosexual. I think in a lot of relationships you almost need a point of difference. And um, you know, my mother and father their their marriage was very very volatile, and. Because neither of them would back down, and I think as children watching that um, 
unfold. I mean, I found it, um, you know, very upsetting. Um, and I think in a good relationship, um, I think it helps. And I think that's perhaps why in life quite often you have the two different types of personalities where the relationship, you know, has, has a good chance. Um, but I think if both people are incredibly volatile, I think that makes for some interesting times. Yeah. Um, and I think as a child, if you witness things with your parents, um, it can. there are two things that can happen, or three. One thing is that you just decide that you're never, ever going to get involved in any permanent relationships because you think they suck. Right. Another thing is that you could say, I'm just not going to be like that. And the third thing and the worst thing of all, which happens, I hate to say it, statistically with a lot of men, is that they go, you know what, I'm just going to be like my father. I'm going to be a dickhead. So what's really interesting to me is that it's very clear that you and mum met each other and you both came from families that had some, you know, like a little, little bit of emotional distance. I'm not saying anything terrible, but, you know. And you clearly decided to kind of run in the opposite direction. You were both shaped by, you know, your upbringing. Do you think that you realised pretty quickly that you had a lot in common in that respect? Look, Christine, when I first met, she told me about her dysfunctional family and she was estranged from her family. Yeah. And I said to Christine, I said, look, I am quite aware of dysfunctional families, but the story she told me, I said, it just can't be that bad. And I remember we agreed to meet her father and stepmother. The stepmother was just a little bit older than Christine, Mm -hmm. which is that in itself is problematic. And we met them at the Time and Tide Hotel on a Saturday afternoon. And from the second, and Christine was so reticent and, and basically distressed about this whole thing, but felt she should do it for me. So I was so, um, well, I thought it was really important. and um, To meet the family, yeah. To meet the family. And <clears throat> when I walked into that room, it was like having a meeting with one of the relatives of the devil. They were seriously fucked up. And I regretted from that day on to today, ever having anything to do with her family. And I all of a sudden, it was a light bulb moment where I thought, you know what, Christine, you were right. This is a seriously messed up family on so many levels. And I just thought, wow, there are actually families out there that are so... And then I understood. I mean, when Christine was in her teens, if she she was given ridiculous um, hours, you know how you've got kids have got to be home at a certain time? Yeah. And that, that was the same with me. I mean, I had to be home when I was a teenager at 10 o'clock on a Saturday night when all my other friends, so it was just ridiculous. It didn't work. Mm. And, and Christine told me that one night she came, she was a few minutes late, and her stepmother locked her out of the house and she had to sleep in the laundry all night. Like, that's demonic and, and really bad. Yeah. So Christine and I, as a result of our strict upbringing, upbringings, we both decided when no we curfews. had children, no yeah. curfews. Mm. Now that's controversial, but it bloody well worked. But one thing I want to, yeah, I want to try and figure out how much of your upbringing. I'm just trying to because when you meet somebody and you've got stuff in common, it really does create this pretty immediate bond. 
but it seems like mum had a whole bunch of people vying for her attention in the force. What was it about you, do you think, that, you know, that made it work with you? What was what was unique about you and her, like uh, the alchemy of it? Well, I don't think you can actually dissect that. Uh, I mean, you can try to, mm. but you just know. Um, it was a, a moment in time and we just, look, uh, that's amazing, isn't it? But um, it was just the right time. I just, you kind of... I mean, I don't actually understand people that wait for years. I don't get it if they meet someone amazing. Mm. But I'm not judging, but I don't understand. But people say, oh, you should never rush into things. But what are you, what are you rushing into? What are you waiting for? Are you waiting to discover more and more faults in the person? Are you waiting to figure out whether you really want to commit yourself? But you know what? You can become so fussy and you can create this idealistic, sort of creature in your mind that is act- that doesn't exist. And, um, yeah, so, look, I think it kind of... I mean, we'll talk about Christine meeting my family, won't we? Yes. Um, and there's, a, there's a whole lot of material in that in the future. I'm just so interested to hear about... Because here's the thing. Grandma, your mum, listens to this show. I mean, she really... She really listens to the show and she's a big fan. She's a huge supporter of my work as well. And I think sometimes I worry and I don't want her to think that... I mean, how do you think she feels about her depiction in the, these oh, stories? Oh, look, she. We, we, we were discussing me being kicked out of home and mm. all that stuff a few weeks ago and, and she texted me and I, I knew something had happened. And she texted me, as she always does. She always says, wonderful podcast, and she's just so amazingly positive. And on that particular day of all the podcasts she's ever listened to, she wrote, I'm just trying to think how many words. Okay, she wrote four words. She texted to me. Yep. She said, that was very sad. That's how she reacted. Ah. And But hey, let's get real here. We don't any punches it's a part of the story but do you have anything you want to say to her perhaps about that because it seems like clearly water under the bridge i mean it was a long time ago and yeah look look my brother mark god bless him he says dad he said mum's in her twilight years what is the point of upsetting people however Mm. i'm not one to bury things ever that is the worst thing you can do in the world. That is one of the major problems in society why things are so fucked up because people are continually pushing them, wiping them under the carpet, pretending they didn't happen, and it's, it's terrible. That's why we always said to you kids, ad nauseum, if anything ever, ever happens to you, you come and see us, we'll deal with it. We don't bury things under the carpet. That may have been the way in the past. It's not acceptable. Things need to come out in the open. and You need to chat. And my mother is, she's one of the biggest fans of this podcast. Mm. She loves it. And part of listening to the podcast, every episode's not going to be all touchy-feely, lovey. It's just, that's not how it is. This is a real story. And we need to bring in everything and I, and I see my mother 
fairly regularly and we, we, we get along like a house on fire. Yeah. And um, I'm eternally grateful to my mother. She's amazing. So yeah. she's an extraordinary person. And yeah, so. she's in, Yeah, she's incredible. And honestly, she brings such an amazing energy. I think honestly, she is the source of, you know, you wonder which parent you get certain things from. I mean, I actually a lot of my personality and DNA I get from grandma, honestly. And I know she's going to be chuffed to hear that, but I do. She's extremely theatrical, very outspoken, extremely weird in a very good way, very eccentric and very opinionated. And she, you definitely have a lot of those traits. I think you actually got a lot of yourself from her. So just a big nod to grandma, really. And we'll be telling a story about her that is quite embarrassing in a future episode. So strap in for that one. But I think that's all the time we have for this week's episode of Loose Units. I guess the moral of this story is... If you work with someone that you'd like, you know, ask them out. Why not? What is there to lose? You could be, your son or daughter could be doing a podcast about your adventures 40 years down the line. So we hope you enjoyed this episode of Loose Units, the podcast. Make sure you head across to our Facebook page if you want to send us some questions. And a quick shout out to the listener who I literally ran into in the street the other day. Dad, I was walking around the corner to get coffee extremely early. It was freezing cold. And this woman was walking a dog and she stopped me and said, Paul from Loose Units? And I went, yeah. And she goes, oh, I'm just listening to you right now. She pulled her headphones out and kind of pointed at the headphone. It was really lovely to be recognized. That's so lovely. It's so So nice. And she actually sent in a really great question on the Facebook page. So we'll be answering her question on Friday's episode of Loose Ends. If you want to kind of weigh in and throw some questions in, head across to our Facebook page. Make sure, if you can, to grab a copy of Electric Blue in bookshops, on Audible, on iTunes, audiobook, physical, whatever. Read the book. Let us know what you think. And we will see you at the end of the week for more Loose Units. Bye. Cheerio. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.